Good morning. It's Easter Sunday. There's so much that we have to be thankful for as we celebrate Easter. But at the center of Easter is the resurrected Savior. And that's why we're here today, to celebrate that power, that greatness. Um, you know, I've been, I've been walking through some of the Gospels the past few weeks leading up to this day. Um, and the Bible is, is so full of, of, of so much that took place in such a short amount of time. It's amazing what took place in just such a short amount of time. And during just a few short hours, we talk about the power of the past, but there were so many miracles that happened at that time. And I thought I might read a few to you because as we look back, we talk about the power of the past, but we want to finish today looking at the power of the present and what God is doing. If you've got your Bibles, maybe you want to turn over with me or you can read from the screen what we're going to look at in Matthew chapter 27. And let me read a couple of things to you today that, that are just, they're, they're mind-boggling because this is what... This is what Matthew records in his gospel in Matthew 27, verse 50 through 53. And this is what the scripture says. Then Jesus shouted out again and released his spirit. He died there on the cross. And at that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. Now they tell us that that curtain was somewhere between 60 foot long and about 30 foot deep uh, wide. And it was probably about four inches thick. Josephus, who was a historian, said that you could have taken two horses and put it on both sides and the horses could not have split and it could not have torn that veil. But look at, look at what he says. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. Here was a curtain that separated man from God, and the only way that man was that atonement for man's sin was made was for a high priest to go into this place that had been separated, and that, and that veil separated. But at that time, when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says that the blood that Jesus shed there at that time was sufficient for our atonement. Once and for all, the sins of the world paid, and that veil was torn. That was a miracle. It goes on to say that the earth shook and the rocks split apart. There was a massive earthquake. And I don't know if you've really been paying attention, but have you noticed the amounts of earthquakes that have been happening around the world the past few weeks? I don't know if you've noticed that. In Nicaragua, where we always are landing, Managua has been the center point for many earthquakes, about 30 earthquakes over the past 40 days. Some of our friends, Rick and Mary Irvin, who was with us back in January, have been talking about the earthquakes and how powerful that they've been. But they say that there's something else that's coming. It's just the precursor for something large that's going to happen. Some of the volcanoes that have, been, that have been smoking for years and years, they say they're beginning to rumble there in Nicaragua. In verse 52, it says, And the tombs opened, the bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. <laughs> There was a lot of stuff happening. And it said they left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection and they went into the holy city of Jerusalem and they appeared to many, many people. Now that had to be a sight. Dead men, dead women walking in the middle of the city. People that had died before that were believers, that were followers, that were men and women of faith. All of a sudden after the resurrection, the Bible says that they went into the city. Can you imagine what took place at that time? Hey, man, did you see sister so-and-so? I just saw her walking down the street. I thought she died last week. And I love what Paul said because he goes back and he records and he said, listen, 
man went after Jesus had died. He said he went into the city, and if it would have been just one or two, but the Bible says that he appeared to at least 500 at one time. And he said, if you don't believe it, why don't you go back to the city? Because some of the people that saw him are still alive today. That's a testimony. Now, if it had been one person or if it had been two people, if it had been a couple of disciples, but no, multitudes of people saw Jesus after the resurrection. Here's Fox News and CNN fighting for breaking news of the day. No more about flight number 370. I mean, all of a sudden, breaking news is happening all around. Miracles are taking place. People had to be bewildered. And today we look back and say, oh man, that's just a thing of the past. That's something that the Bible has that tells us about what took place then. But what about now? Where are the miracles today in the midst of our lives? Where are they at? And we need to be reminded that God just wasn't a miracle worker, but He is a miracle worker, bringing hope from the mist of the ashes. With that being said, how many of us are here today and you say, if God doesn't show up and if a miracle doesn't happen in my life, I just don't know how much longer I'll last. See, I'm in need of a miracle Today, I hear what you say about what happened then, but what about a miracle today? And what I want to tell you is that Easter isn't just about celebrating the miracles of the past, but it's about celebrating the miracles of the present as well. Watch this little video clip. My name is Mark Panagoni, and this is my story. The night of December 19th, um, all four of us, Mark, Jack, Magnus, and myself, were at the football banquet. We were first at the banquet, but then um, we had to go to basketball practice. It was right after practice. Um, family, parents, kids, they all left. After practice, we just playing around with some friends. Tony and I were just talking, catching up, you know, and I wanted to leave. But I said, you know what, I'm just going to stick around just a little bit longer. I know we had basketball practice, and I do remember after the practice uh, playing with Jack. He just stops for a second, and then he just falls down. That's probably the last thing I remember from that night. Next thing you know, I hear Jack say, Dad, stop playing around, get up. You know, I'm just kind of like hesitating, kind of thinking, I don't think everything's okay. Right then and there, I called 911. The call came in as a cardiac arrest at the elementary school gym. But here's the hard part. Assessing him when I'm running to him, he's not his regular color. He's turning blue. By then, I was like, oh, something is wrong. I don't know if he's going to be okay. We were flagged down uh, by a bystander gathered our equipment, walked into the gym, and we could see CPR being performed on somebody across the gym. I think Bradley, or his coworker, said, just keep going, and then we'll, we'll take over. Mark was dead. My heart stopped for six minutes. So according, I guess I'm mathematically or medically dead at that point, but I don't think, I don't think it was my time to die. I said to myself, Jack can't lose his dad, can't lose him. That night, I think the Lord was with me and he guided me 
the right phone number. And when I heard my mother's voice, it was probably the best thing that happened that day. His voice was quavering and he said, Mommy, there's an ambulance here for Daddy. He fainted and I said, I'm on the way. We shocked him a couple times, actually got a pulse back and loaded him on the stretcher. Within about 10 minutes, we were in the ambulance and on the way to the hospital. A firefighter came up and he was trying to console Jack too and he was saying, your dad's heartbeat is beating again, this is good. We started to get an idea that things were gonna be okay while en route to the hospital. Uh, Mark had gotten a pulse back and was attempting to breathe on his own. The men from the church had, had gotten the word and you know they began to congregate and, uh, and to try to begin to, to figure out what they could do to support uh, Lisa and, and the family, um, begin to pray uh, for Mark and, and just try to figure out how we could move forward and help the family at that point in time. That is Brian Bitzer. That is Bill Holt. That is Brian Williams. Mike Tucker's here. Dan McCondy's here. Sid Brock is here. They're here for me. That was something. We don't have family here, and I can tell you that night we felt like we had family here. The people at Heritage, Heritage Church, the ones that came to Lisa's aid and uh, were there for Lisa, the ones that prayed for me, the whole, the whole community and the church were really there. They came together and I realized that more and more after, after being in the hospital, seeing people on Facebook and finding out and seeing pictures of the kids at school that were praying for me, praying for our family, it really helped made us feel like we're part of one big family. You know, I've been doing this 29 years, so I've seen a lot of death, a lot of survival, you know, and you see God show up and, and do some pretty amazing things. And in this situation, God showed up, and, and um, it was a miracle, you know, for Mark to survive. You know, so it, it, it bolsters your faith. You know, you see uh, tangible evidence of God working, you know, in somebody's life. You know, you see him real. And that is, that is absolutely, um, you know, just amazing to watch, um, you know, to know that, that God has actually made a difference in somebody's life. And, they can, and they've got a testimony, they've got a God story to tell themselves. This experience made me feel safe and it made me feel like God has a hand in what's happening in our lives on a daily basis. And I saw that he uses people, and we should open, always be open to being there for others. Um, it's made me just so thankful that my, I've got my husband around, and my son has his father for years to come. And the biggest thing that I took from that thing was, was hope. Because everyone else, Everyone else, you know, can, can have hope. It's something that everyone can have, and no one can take it away from you. I want to say this to the people who had a part in saving my father's life. I, I can't express my gratitude. I am so happy that my dad's still alive, and I'm happy that God put you on this earth because you have done wonderful things. I, I really want to thank you 
and I know that my family thanks you and that hopefully in all of this that happened that you felt the way I have felt that God was involved that you could feel the, that he was working through you to save my life because I'm living proof that God does miracles even today. I believe that God does make miracles and my dad is the proof. Mark is a living day miracle. Don't ever give up hope. Mark, would you stand? Lisa, Jack. There's only a part of the story that you guys see, but there's so many other miracles that were involved in that, from Jack remembering his mom's number to Mark being put with a couple of coaches that he didn't even know, didn't have a clue who they were, only to, only to find out later after the fact that they had been trained in CPR just recently, that one of the guys decided to stay back when he said, I have no reason to stay back, I don't need to stay back, but he, st he decided to stay back, and he said there's no way one of us could have kept him alive during that time. He said, if it would have just been one of us, he said, I don't think he would have made it. Because what was only seconds felt like hours. Man, we celebrate you guys. Thank you for sharing a part of your story. Thank you. Is Bev Johnson here? Is Bev? <laughs> I don't think Bev's in here. She may be over Babe Bev. Bev. Bev put all the time in and helping record and put all that together and taping. Thank you and, and Mark for what you guys did for, for being a part. How many of you guys have experienced an everyday miracle? that you believe in your life that you've experienced a, a miracle. <clears throat> Sometimes we just don't really pay attention. I remember being with some kids. Uh, we had, a, we had a, a trip that we had taken to do some inner city work in Charleston, South Carolina. Really tough area that we had some groups in. And one of the groups kept coming back day after day. And, and they, they came back and they were so discouraged because they had kids uh, from about 5 to about 16, and there was about a 15, 16-year-old old, old that uh, seemed to run the pack every day. And uh, he was a really tough kid. And, and so in the midst of a conversation, I said, I, I'm going I'm to go with you guys this day. I want to see who this kid is. They said, oh, Pastor Sidney, he said he's really tough. I said, that's okay. What are you guys talking about today? They said, well, we're talking about miracles. So I'm thinking, okay, what can I do? So I got there on the scene, and I sat in the back for a while, and I listened as they read the Bible story. They were talking about Lazarus being read from the dead. And this kid, he just, he just was so belligerent. And he, was so, he just would interrupt, and he would, he would try to steer the kids off to left field. And finally, I, I, just, I, I walked up after they were done. I said, man, can I tell you guys a story? And then what kind of story you got to tell us? Man, you ain't got no story. I said, listen, I got a story. Let me tell you. Because I know a guy who experienced a miracle. He said, man, there ain't no God and there's no miracles. I said, oh, yes, there is too. And I began to tell a story about a young man in a lawnmower accident that had lost his feet. They told him he couldn't be able to walk again. He couldn't ever be able to wear shoes. And I went on with this story. And the little kid looked at me at the end of the story. He said, man, you're just a liar. You don't know nothing. I said, well, I know this guy personally. He said, no, you don't. I said, yes, I do. As a matter of fact, the story was about me. And he looked at me and I said, let me show you my story. And let me show you my miracle. And I pulled off my shoes and he looked at me and said, dear Jesus is alive. 
and I'm not, and I'm not, t- I'm not, I'm not playing the fool. He said this to me. I got to go home and tell Gramps, Gramps' mama. He said, I already seen a miracle today. I've already seen a miracle. And he ran off. That was the truth. He said, I got to go get my girl. Will you show her? I said, I'll show her. But how many times are we looking for something on the physical instead of the spiritual realm? How many times are we looking for something like Mark? Are we looking something like me? Are we looking for something along the physical realm that we ask for? And we miss it. See, we celebrate Easter reminding ourselves of the miracles of the past, but today we want to celebrate the miracles of the present. This is what Paul said in Romans chapter 8. He said, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, there's one translation that says, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies. What's going to end up happening to this mortal body? It's going to die, isn't it? You know, when I think about life, I don't know how many gardeners or people that we have that love the outdoors, but there's something about planting a seed and watching that seed come come through the dirt for the first day. You know what I'm talking about? Gus, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You plant those squash, you plant those cucumbers. There's an exciting day when you walk out and you go, hey, baby, look, we got some cucumbers coming up today. But when I think about giving life, I just don't think about coming through the soil, but I think about restoration. Because how many of us are dead? How many of us are dead? I think about the product of life. I think about bringing something back to life because that's the power of the Holy Spirit. And he said, He said, raised from the, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit living within you. And he goes on to say in Ephesians chapter one, I pray that you will also understand the incredible greatness of God's power for those who believe. I wonder how many miracles we miss out on because of our lack of faith. I wonder how many miracles we miss out on because we're looking in the wrong direction, because we're expecting something different. And Paul goes on to say, this is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. And it's the power that reminds us that we just don't celebrate the past miracles, but we celebrate the miracles of the present. I love what Paul said in Philippians 3.10. He said, I want, I want. Let me ask you a question. What is it that you want? What is it that you're anticipating? What is it that you are expecting? What is it that you are desiring? What is it that you are searching for? See, what Paul said that he wanted, he said, I want, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Believe. How many of us miss out because we're looking in the wrong direction? See, see, the hope for us is that somewhere along the journey of faith that we would be able to move beyond somebody else's story and understand that we've got a story. See, because probably if I go on statistics, some of you in here, even though you're walking around, you're dead. You're not experiencing life because you're looking in the wrong direction. And you're looking at a Jesus of the past instead of a Jesus of the present. And for some of us here today, if we're honest, only a miracle will do. 
I'm reminded of the story of the, at the, at the service they were having, the little boy that made his way to the front of the altar as the pastor was giving an invitation. And he just walked up and he stood. And he stood in front of the pastor and the pastor was realizing that he was, he was broken. And he leaned over to him and he said, son, can I help you? He said, yes, sir. He said, I need a miracle today. He said, well, son, what do you need? He said, I, I, need, to, I need a miracle for my mom and daddy because they're getting a divorce. I need a miracle. And it would be terrible if the only thing that we could talk about was the miracles of the past and lose hope of the miracles of today. How many of us have, have garnered up some stinking thinking over the years? Let me give you some stinking thinking that somewhere along the line we've seen to garner. And here's one of them, the fact that God doesn't care. Because some of you, when you're in the midst of the needing a miracle, some of us have a tendency to think that maybe God doesn't care. But that's not true, is it? That's not true at all. God doesn't care about me or what's going on in my life. The truth is that he cares about every detail, even every hair that you've got on your head. I love what the psalmist writes in Psalms 139. He said, oh Lord, you've looked through me and you've known me. You know when I sit down and when I get up. You understand my thoughts, those far, far away. You look over my path and me lying down. You know all of my ways very well. Even before I speak a word, oh Lord, you know it all. You've closed me in from behind and in front, and you've laid your hand upon me. All you know is too great for me. It is too much for me to understand. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I run from that where, where you are? If I go up to the heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in a place of the dead, you're there. And if I take the wings of the morning or live in the Father's part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will hold me. If I say for sure the darkness will cover me and the light around me will be night, even in darkness is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are the same to you. In a famous passage, for you made the parts inside of me. You put me together inside of my mother. And you tell me God doesn't care? Oh no. Or what about that feeling that we get sometime and the stinking thinking comes in from God just doesn't hear, God doesn't listen. It's easy to feel that way. It's easy to feel that way because maybe your prayer life hadn't been what it needs to be or, or, or maybe your faith isn't as strong as it needs to be or, or maybe you've been waiting on God to do something. And, but let me tell you this, God doesn't play games. He listens and he hears. Um, even, in the, even in the midst of the times when your life is a mess and you feel like nothing's going right, here's the psalmist saying, I am praying to you because I know you will answer me. See, because there's somebody here today that might be walking through a time of difficulty, and I want you to understand what the psalmist said. He knew God, and he said, listen, I'm crying out to you, and I'm going to cry out to you because I know that you're listening to me. I know, God, that you're going to listen to me. Or maybe the stinking thinking that God isn't real or he doesn't exist. Man, the psalmist wrote this, only fools say in their hearts there is no God. See, the Bible just didn't teach that there was a God, but there is a God. And he's not was great, but he is great and he does great things. And the psalmist declares that the heavens declare your glory, Father. The heavens declare your glory. 
And for the person that might be here today and you're looking past the resurrection and you're saying, okay, tell me where God is today. I'm in need of a miracle today. I think the thing that we need to ask ourselves is a couple of questions. Just a couple of questions to ask. If you're in need of a miracle today, what are some questions that you might need to ask yourself that might help you in this process? Number one, are you available? Are you available? How many of us are terrified of what might happen if we were to truly give God control of our lives? That's a good question, isn't it, Bob? Because how many of us, we don't mind God riding in the passenger seat, but to put him in the driver's seat and give him the steering wheel, I don't think so. Because he might ask something of me that I'm not willing to give. That's tough. We're okay as long as we're calling the shots, but to turn it over to God, mm, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. This is what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18. Their minds, those who don't believe their minds, are full of darkness. They wander far from the life that God gives because they've closed their minds and they've hardened their hearts against him. A translation, another translation of that passage says this, because they've shut their minds from him, they can't understand his ways. And we wonder why we miss it. Are you available? Are you available? What about am I obedient? Because there's a difference between doing what I want to do and, and doing what God wants me to do. How many of us have our plans? Are your plans God's plans? Are your ways God's ways? Are your thoughts God's thoughts? Is your agenda God's agenda? Or is there a difference? How many times because we can't see what's next or we can't put the pieces of the puzzle together the way that we want it, do we just stick to what's safe and what we know? And the Lord says in Isaiah 58 or 55, He said, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts and my ways are far beyond anything that you could ever imagine. And there are going to be times in our lives when the things of the Lord just don't make sense. But that's why he's God. And I'm not. Which brings me to the last point. Am I available? Am I obedient? Do you really trust him? See, you're in search of a miracle. You're looking for a miracle, but you're not available. You're looking for a miracle, but you're not obedient. You're looking for a miracle but do you really trust him? I mean, do you really trust him? And this is where most of us will struggle. This is where most of us will struggle. And we'll struggle here because we've been led astray before. We've, bad, we've had friends or we've had somebody in our family or we've had an acquaintance or we've had a boss or we've had somebody that's hurt us and trust has been broken. And that trust ends up playing into moving outside of our earthly relationships into our heavenly relationships. How many of us is our faith fickle? If I were to ask you to define fickle, how would you define the word fickle? I asked the teenagers this on Wednesday night, so I'm hoping you guys can come up with an answer. How do you define fickle? Can't make a decision? Constantly changing? How many of us have a faith that's fickle? You can't seem to make your mind up. It's constantly changing, bouncing to and, and forth. How many of us have a faith today and then tomorrow because it doesn't seem like things are going my way, all of a sudden I've changed? 
And here's Jesus in the midst of a conversation that's recorded in the, in the Gospel of Matthew when Jesus is saying something to his disciples. And this is what he says in Matthew 21, 21. I tell you the truth, if you have faith and don't doubt, you can do things like this and much more. Now, this is in reference to prayer, but the overall concept here is, listen, guys, you're lacking faith. See, the problem that you have, it's not a prayer problem, it's a faith problem. And he comes on to say, you can say, even to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. You can pray for anything, and if you have faith, you will receive it. And again, the emphasis isn't on prayer, but it's on faith. I mean, how many of us in this room are facing mountains, have faced mountains, or will face mountains? We all face it. And if we were to go around the room and I were to start saying, hey, listen, tell me the mountain that you're facing right now, you may come up with something that's somewhat similar to everything that every one of us in this room has faced. But there would be some of you that would come up with some stuff with some mountains that you're facing. And those of us that are here today, we would, go, we would just go, you got to be kidding me. Man, I didn't know you was going through that. Where in the world? Why didn't you say something? There are some mountains probably that people in this room are facing or have faced that if we were to really know, it would completely take our breath away. But do you think it catches our Father by surprise? There are those times that we go to the Lord and we ask the Lord to help us and to remove the stress, but how many times do we go there to Him without and lacking faith? We say, God, I believe that you're in control, but we turn right around and we we manipulate everything that we can to try to get out of it what we want to get out of it. We say, Lord, I trust you, but nah, you're okay, God, as long as you're in the, in the passenger seat. But the driver's seat, I don't know about that. I remember being in a conversation several years ago with a guy, and he said to me, you know, man, things are going just well and smooth. Everything in my relationship with the Lord is just fine. And I remember saying to him, our relationship with God isn't defined when things are smooth, but it's defined in those times of difficulty. It's defined in those times when we don't want to lean into God and we continue to lean into God because faith isn't faith until it's tested. See, it's easy to come in here on a Sunday morning, man, to celebrate and listen to the beautiful music and watch the videos and leave out and go, man, look at God, isn't he great? The resurrection... Man, Jesus is alive and well, and all of a sudden we totally forget about how that applies to our lives today. But it's just not the power of the past, but it's the power of the present. Because Paul said that same power that was alive then, that was in the midst of creating life, is still available to those of us that are his believers, that are his followers in the Old Testament. Here's Jeremiah the prophet, the weeping prophet, mourning over the people of Jerusalem because they had disobeyed and they rebelled against God. And as a result of that, there was punishment. Babylon had come in. They had destroyed the city. They had taken the people captive. Many people were killed. Many people were taken into slavery. And here's, here's Jeremiah that in the midst of all the confusion, that in the midst of all the stuff that was happening during that time, he would not lose hope. And you know why he wouldn't lose hope? Because he had a personal relationship with his heavenly father. He knew God from his own personal experience. He wouldn't lose hope and he wouldn't lose trust. And this is what he cried out in Lamentations. He said, yet I still dare to hope amidst everything that's going on. 
When I remember this, the faithful love of the Lord never ends, and His mercies never cease. Great is His faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh and new each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who depend on Him, to those who search for Him. So it is good to wait patiently and quietly for the salvation from the Lord. See, Jeremiah knew what it was like. He knew what happened as a result of disobedience. He knew what the penalty was. He knew that there was that with disobedience would follow punishment, but he also knew that in the midst of brokenness and repentance, there was life. Life. Jesus raised from the dead. Mark being given another opportunity. Me having an opportunity to walk. When they said, I'd never have an opportunity to walk. The multitudes of miracles that, that we might hear if we were to stand up here and tell our stories, those are great. But let me tell you, the greatest miracle of all is when somebody who's running from God, who's rebelling against God, who is moving in the opposite direction from God, all of a sudden cries out and say, God, I realize that I'm a sinner. I need you. There was a story of a little boy named Philip. Philip was a special young man. He was a young man who had Down syndrome. At about nine years old, the little kids, he, they tried to, to mainstream him as much as possible. And at church, he had a little class that he was involved in, a little nine-year-old Sunday school class. And, you know, as, as, as great as that class was and as great as a teacher as he had, he always used to get picked on from time to time because he was different. He was just different from the other kids. He usually couldn't participate like everybody else did because he couldn't think as fast or he, he couldn't communicate as well. And so the teacher thought one day, she said, I'm going to do everything I can to try to make this Easter a special Easter. And so you ladies know this. Now, men, we don't usually run around buying stockings, or at least I hope you don't. But ladies, you remember the little, the little uh, stockings that came uh, in the legs? They were called legs. and came, Do they even make those these days? Meredith and I were having this conversation last night. I thought I'd go buy one for you. Then I, But the teacher went out and she bought nine pair of these legs. And she, she just wanted the egg, the big egg. And she brought them to, to class, to church on Sunday morning. And they were talking about new life. And so the teacher instructed all the little kids. She said, I want you guys today, we're going to do something special. And she said, I want you to go out into the courtyard. And she said, I want you to get something that represents new life. And I want you to put it in the egg and I want you to bring it back in. So the kids did that, and they came back, and they were so giddy and excited, and so it became time for them to be able to, to sit down and, and reveal what they had, had found and what they located. So they opened up one, and here's a butterfly. A little girl found a butterfly, and the kids just oohed and awed. That was so neat that she had caught a butterfly, but she said that represents new life. Well, another little kid, he, he had, uh, they opened up another egg, and inside was some grass, uh, and they're like going, grass? You know, the kids are making fun. Grass, what does that have to do with new life? And the kid said, well, they cut the grass last week, and this is new grass. And so then they opened up another one, and there was a rock. Well, then they got really loud. Well, who in the world, who's the dummy that put the rock in the egg? You know, what is that? And one of the kids raised his hands. That was me. He said, man, I knew everybody else would do something special. I just wanted to be different. So I put a rock in there. So, so I just wanted to be different than everybody else. Well, they all laughed and thought it was funny. And then the teacher opened up an egg, and there wasn't anything in it. And the kids start like, who in the world didn't participate? Who didn't follow the directions? And the teacher found, 
she felt somebody tugging at her, at her leg. And, and Philip said, that was me. That's me. That's me. That's mine. They said, well, why didn't you follow the direction? He said, I did. I did. I did. He said, the tomb was empty, wasn't it? The tomb was empty. And there was a miracle that they said it took place that day because that kid who had been ostracized because of his differences were embraced. And he began to be loved. And he began to be cared for. It wasn't long after that that little Philip became sick because of his because of his illness, because his body couldn't fight off the faction, he eventually died. And the story is told that at, at his funeral that there were nine little eggs that were placed up on the altar as a symbol of new hope and new life because that day, little Philip was new. He was new. Let me tell you guys, we can constantly look for stories like Mark and we can look back on the stories of the resurrection of Jesus. But the greatest miracle of all is when we fall on our knees in our brokenness and our humblest and we see our sin and we move towards Jesus. That's the greatest miracle of all. I'm a miracle. I'm a miracle. Are there any more miracles here today? Who's here today that would say, I'm a miracle. I've given my heart to Jesus. Anybody want to stand and say that? Oh, don't raise your hand. Say, I'm a miracle. I'm a miracle. Jesus has changed my life. Jesus has changed my life. I'm reminded of the words of Paul when he said, I'm crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but Christ Jesus who lives within me. Who's in the steering? Who's, who's in the driver's seat of your life? Is it Jesus? Or are you still holding on? Will you pray with me this morning? Father, in the midst of our time, may we be reminded of the great miracles of the past as we center in and we focus on the resurrected Savior today. But Lord, we don't want to just remember the past, but we want to celebrate today by realizing and understanding because of the finished work of Christ on the cross, there are many of us that are here that are not just physical, have experienced physical miracles, but we've experienced spiritual miracles. There are people in this room today that are standing all over. They may even be sitting today that would be able to say and give a testimony, I'm a miracle of the of the life-changing work of Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you've trusted Christ, you're a follower of Jesus and you're standing here and you're saying, I'm a miracle, right there where you are, just for 30 seconds, would you give thanks to the Father and just tell him how much you appreciate what he did on that cross that day. Give thanks to him today for being new. Would you do that? While people are standing, I'm reminded, Lord, that in the midst of this room, there may be some that here that don't know you. And I'm reminded of what we learned from Jeremiah and his teachings. What it is for a man to repent and to turn to God, to see our sin and to cry out to you in the midst of our, our brokenness and say, Jesus, I need you. If there is someone here today that doesn't know you as Savior and Lord, Lord, the greatest miracle of all is when we come to trust and obey you and to follow you. 
I'm reminded of the scripture that tells us that if we're in Christ, that we're a new person, that the old life is gone and the new has become. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I'm not saying a prayer will save you, but I'm saying it sort of dictates, it, it voices what's going on in our hearts when you come to the place of saying, Jesus, I need you. I believe what you did on the cross. I believe that, that you have the power to save. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ and you're desiring to follow him and you want to come to him in brokenness and humility and you're here, you're saying, I need a miracle. I need a miracle. Would you even pray these words silently to yourself? Lord, I, I realize amidst my brokenness that I am a sinner and I desperately need you today. Thank you for what you did on the cross that I don't have to remain in my sin, but I can trust you and follow you. And in that, you bring life. I want to experience life today and if that's you and you've prayed that i just pray that after our services are complete here today that you come to me and say pastor i just want you to know that today i want to give my life to jesus i prayed that prayer for those of us that are standing in this room today i pray that the the walls would not be silent as we walk outside that we would be reminded that we've not been called to live in defeat but we've been called to live in victory may we be encouragers May we bring the, the, the testimony of Jesus Christ and what he did into the world in which we live, that as the disciples, we don't have to be in hiding because we know the remainder of the story, that he lives, that he lives. Christ Jesus lives today, and that he walks with me and he talks with me as I go upon my way, that he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. May we be reminded of that and may we live in victory. We don't have to be hidden and we don't have to be in silence and we don't have to be quiet. But we can be bold because of what took place 2,000 years ago when Jesus was resurrected from the grave. So give us confidence in that today as we leave this place willing, ready, and available to make a difference and leave a legacy for Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen.